Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by theqbsync.com. For accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbseek.com. We are 7 for 7 guys. That's seven weeks, seven wins, seven victory podcasts. It just never gets old. I love this. This is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird not to have anything to sit and grape about in reality, you know, so used to having things to debate and is this guy actually good or is he not don't have any of that this year really i could come up with some things if we're if we're desperate i think we can't do it i think there's a few things we come up with but hey man it beats the hell out of talking about oh this guy is not performing up to snuff and this team did this and the Niners made this mistake and should have won that game. It just feels so good to see this team rise up again. I'm, I'm guilty. I said there would be eight and eight, so I'm guilty of underestimating them. They, they have one win to get to that win total, and they're going to far surpass that. But I believe, Levin, we have, we have some business we have to attend to, don't we? There was, there, was a, there was a prediction, I think. Uh, hmm. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're talking about. You're talking about how I was right again, and I haven't been wrong yet. Yeah, and I think that that I also was correct. So that means that there, there's some one of us that wasn't actually cor- who. All right. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> First of all, if we're gonna get technical, I'm one and one. All right, because I may have picked the 49ers to lose, but I also predicted they'd make a trade for a wide receiver, which they did about a day after we recorded. So. At worst, I'm one and one, and I wasn't the first host of this podcast to pick against the 49ers. Hey, but as I, it's funny because I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, I knew you'd bring that up. I knew that. And <laughs> it was like, at least I, the Niners were in my heart, okay? I went, the mind went with the Rams, and the, the heart went with the Niners, and I'm, that's at least like 60-40 ers right? So I still get, get credit for that. Is, it, is that how that works, I think, right? I don't know how well, accurate this score is. At least in the stats case, the game was really close. <laughs> yeah, it was uh-huh. only only a, a thirty some odd point blowout, right, Sam? Everybody's got jokes today. I see how it is. Okay, thank you. We're, all right. we're here all week, but <laughs> I, I do, I do want to uh, really quick touch on the Emmanuel Sanders trade, which happened, which you did mention. It happened uh, while uh, in the week that we we uh, did not record shortly after we, co- we recorded the last podcast, and what a huge pickup that was. We'll get into how he fits into the offense, but. Um, I do want to touch on the fact that John Lynch saw a need, made that move, and it may be the move that puts this team over the top. Like that move is a win now move. And I'm not used to seeing them make that move because they're usually so protective of their draft capital. So to see them go out and get Emmanuel Sanders, I mean, immediately be like, no, you're going to be a focal point was so great. And it sends a message to the rest of the team. I'm just really happy they did it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Lynch was still at the beginning of the season being criticized and questioned by some as if he wasn't the answer. And I remember there was quite a bit of talk this uh, offseason about, well, maybe after this season, if things don't go well, we keep Shanahan but move on from Lynch. Well, that's completely turned around. I don't think anybody can question Lynch or Shanahan, though. 
It was, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders led all the 49ers wide receivers in snaps played yesterday. And, and how big was the pickup, especially considering Marquise Goodwin missed the game for personal reasons. They really needed another body out there, and he wasn't just another body. I mean, they go right down the field on the first drive. He has two catches, including the, uh, the touchdown to cap the drive there. And I think his impact is only going to grow from here. He just looks different to me, doesn't he, guys? He just looks different than the other receivers. Seeing him in practice and seeing him run those routes and things like that, like it just seems like he's he's built differently. He runs routes differently. He catches the ball differently. There's, he's obviously a special receiver, but when you see him compared to what they have now, you you can tell there's a difference. Obviously, there's a huge difference. So that in itself, it, he he's gonna every time he's on the field, it presents another threat for the other team to guard, and that in in itself is gonna open up so much more for the offense. And it did, but I do want to talk about the defense first, guys. Like the defense, the, I can't say enough good things about them. Number one against the run, number one against the pass, averaging 11, giving up 11 points a game, which is good for number two in the league behind the Patriots. But they just had another lights out performance, guys. And who do you want to pick? Bosa, Mosley, Sherman had a great game. The, the list goes on, doesn't it? It's uh, like I said, right after the game on Twitter, kind of left speechless at this point with the defense. There's not much else to be said other than what we've been saying all year. It's a dominant defense. It seems like every week it gets confirmed that, okay, the statistics might be even more real. You know, that everybody, I think even myself has been kind of questioning, well, eventually they'll probably come back to earth a little bit. They'll still be one of the top defenses in the league, maybe even the best defense in the league. But they're not going to keep up in a historic pace. Well, right now they, they're keeping it up. They're improving upon it after this past week. And the thing I liked in this game that was different from the previous two games was they didn't have that correction drive at the beginning of the game this time. They didn't have that drive where the opponent goes right down the field on them, scores a touchdown, and then they adjust and, and dominate for the rest of the game. They dominated from go, which I like to see. And I saw this on Twitter. The 49ers defense leads the NFL in pressure percentage and sack percentage with just the second lowest blitz percentage out of anybody in the league. So that means they're getting pressure with the front four. It's allowing the rest of the defense to sit back in coverage. And that's the formula that beats literally any team. I don't care if you're Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. That's the best possible way for your defense to play. And the 49ers are doing it and doing it well. Guys, we heard everybody say all week, the national media, sorry, stats, the national media <laughs> say Christian McCaffrey this, Christian McCaffrey that. Kyle Allen's never lost a start. He hasn't even thrown a pick. The Panthers' defense is better than you think it is. They lead the league in stacks. They lead the league in takeaways. All of this stuff about the Panthers' defense, the Panthers this, the Panthers that. And everybody forgot that on the West Coast, there's the little engine that could. The... Un, the underrated, not talked about, undefeated team in the the NFL, the only undefeated team in the NFC. Like they went totally. I don't know if there's a more under the radar under, undefeated team that I've ever seen in the NFL. Like it's just the lack of respect that these guys get from the national media is unreal, and they turn the literally they turn all of that disrespect and they turn that into an absolute beatdown the most complete game that we've seen from a Kyle Shanahan team minus the Garoppolo interception, which we'll get to in a little bit, but the most complete game we've seen from a, from a Kyle Shanahan team an absolute beat down from the get go. Like that game was over in the first half. It was a statement game to say the least. The more that the media disrespects them, the national media, the more this team plays with a chip on the shoulder. And that's a really dangerous place to be for an opponent. 
Right. And I think they, they feed on that negativity, which is why I hope it continues to a certain extent, keeps giving them the ammunition they need to, to be extra motivated. You know, I saw on Twitter, it was only a few hours after the game, Richard Sherman retweeted the tweet talking about how Kyle Allen was coming into the game with the third most pass attempts before their first career interception in NFL mm-hmm. history. And he just retweeted it so that, you know, kind of, it's just, it, it was the right amount of snarkiness and, you know, it was tongue in cheek, but at the same time, there's a little bit of seriousness behind it. He was trying to make a point and I love that. And that's, that's what this defense is feeding off of the fact that despite being almost or even arguably better statistically dominant than this Patriots team, this defense doesn't get talked about the same. There's still people out there saying that the Patriots defense is clearly better. The Patriots defense is amazing. Like I think they've, they've allowed as many touchdowns as they've scored themselves this season, which is incredible considering we're almost halfway through. So the Patriots defense deserves a ton of credit, but anybody saying that the 49ers defense is not right there is just not paying attention because the, the it's incredible what they do to quarterbacks. They, they generate turnovers, they generate sacks there's no weakness on defense except for maybe Richard Sherman, which I talked about last week, but he, he seemed to be okay this week. So the thing with Sherman is that he's always had that weakness. That's the funny part is that he's always allowed kind of short completions and things like that against him because uh, maybe a little bit less in the past because he was younger and, and didn't have the, the Achilles injury to, to deal with, but he's always had that sort of issue where he will kind of give up passes that are short little slant routes and little curls and things like that, but he won't get beat deep. So I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. Plus he's, he's now making interceptions and things like that as well. So he's making plays as well. So I'm cool with that, but I really want to talk about the way that they scheme things up. And Robert Sala basically overnight has become a genius. And I think the issue was with him. He (laughs) needed, he needed players. And I'm one of those guys that was like, man, what is Robert Sala doing last year? I was critical of some of the, the schemes that he was running and I just really think that number one, he needed the players and he needed another, another year for these guys in the scheme. Like when you look at them, it's to the point where they have so many athletes on the field. And I'm talking about like, they're not just football players. They're athletes. These guys can all run. They can jump like Bosa. You saw the interception. Like they've interchanged their safeties now. Now, basically they can, they can roll where they have Ward in the box and tart deep. And I've seen that several times now. And that's one example of how versatile this defense is and i think that's that's part of why they're so good yeah and you mentioned that depth that brings up a a question i'll ask you guys because i think it's going to become a major issue if not this week against arizona certainly the following week who stays starting at at the cornerback do you give it back to akella witherspoon or do you stick with mosley who's been playing like an all pro ever since he's gotten the opportunity God, what a great problem to have, right? I mean, coming into this season, I thought I think that we all thought that the secondary could be a big question. I mean, we we had serious doubts about Witherspoon coming into the year, and he's he was great to start this season. I almost wonder if you, I don't want to say bench Richard Sherman, but I would be interested to see Mosley and Witherspoon as no. the starting corners. You can't, you can't, man. No way. Richard Sherman is a Hall of Famer, man. You can't bench him. I mean, I would think that that you at least let Mosley play it out. And if he struggles or if he's hurt, then you, then you make that switch for Witherspoon, but you can't bench Richard Sherman. Like he's the heart and soul of that defense. He is, he's a captain. He's one of the guys that 
is basically responsible for this turnaround. It just sends such a bad message to the team if you do that. Plus, he's performing too. Like it's not like he's getting beat deep. Like he's allowed the the third lowest completion percentage or sorry QB rating against him this year. And uh, funny enough, the number two player on that list is actually Emmanuel Mosley. But he's been really good. And I don't. He just supported everything I said. I, I pretty much did it. He's been really good though, right? Like you can't, there's no way that they do that. I, well, I he can't I, play the slot either. So they're not going to do that. Yeah, they, they can't do that. But uh, very quietly uh, speaking of the slot, uh, Kwan Williams has been probably the best slot corner in the league, right? Like I, I think that he's, you, you don't hear his name because he's always glued to his guy, right? It, it's funny how in seven games, everything's changed about the secondary because coming into the season, number one, biggest question and that wasn't even really all that debatable. The secondary was not well-respected. It was Richard Sherman will be pretty good, and that was it. That's all that was known at that point. And now it's we got so many people playing at not just well, but Pro Bowl caliber levels that there's not enough spots to start them all. I mean, Jimmy Ward, uh, Tart, they've been playing great safety. I mean, there's been very few plays that the Niners have been beaten over the top and the ones that have gone for long touchdowns, it was to various more that took a bad angle that allowed it to go for a touchdown. And then you got the cornerback situation where you got a great slot corner to where you don't want to mess with them. And you got three great cornerbacks for the outside. There's, there's really no option there to make everybody happy. But I will say I would expect the 49ers to work in a little bit more of a rotation with those corners, work in Witherspoon to see just how healthy he is because you don't want to give him the job back. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out he's not quite on his game or he's not fully back up to speed or whatever, and he ends up giving a big play and momentum's lost. So I would expect Witherspoon will probably end up being the backup and they'll work him in to see how good he is. And the thing I like too is that the, the levels of the defense are playing complementary football. The, the 49ers are getting pass rush up front. They're not allowing deep plays by the secondary. And everybody on this defense, contrary to last year, is tackling like crazy. They don't miss tackles, especially Richard Sherman. He's very good in open space tackling the ball carrier. They, you don't break tackles against the 49ers. So if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to get the ball out in under two seconds pretty much, probably even faster than that. And then you're going to have to just continually dink and dunk down the whole way down the field because you're not going to get there any other way. And this defense is so good. I think the 49ers are fine saying we'll make that bet. And so far, nobody's come close to being able to do it consistently. I saw highlights of uh, Kyle Allen and the previous four games, what he did, because I wanted to know who this guy is and, and what he was doing. And they they did play well in those games. You give, give them credit. They beat all four of those teams, just much like Jimmy did in his first year. He beat all five of those teams at the end of that year, and you give them credit. But when I was watching him play and watch Kyle Allen play and the, the video of him, and there was a lot of, you know, seven step drops and a lot of holding the ball and a lot of like waiting for guys to get open. And immediately I'm like, this guy doesn't have a chance. There's no chance unless, unless he has the ball out of his second and out of his hand in, in two seconds or less, there's no chance because he's just not going to have the time to make a play. And that's exactly what happened. This was yet another team that the Niners held to a hundred net yards passing or less. I believe the last time they allowed more than a hundred net yards passing was in week three. That's ridiculous. That's unreal. And 
for that type of production from this defense, like we look at, we just talked about the secondary and why they're so effective, but guys, that front four makes everything happen. Everybody is playing. Like what happened to Eric Armstead? Like the guys had a career renaissance. Like he's, he's never had this many sacks in college. Like he has five and a half sacks this year. He's been amazing in a contract year, by the way. So he's getting paid. Time. <laughs> Great time to do it. Right. But he's getting paid next year, but he has been lights out this year. Well, I will say one of the keys and really, I think what makes this defense not just a good defense, but potentially an all-time defense, is getting that pressure with only four people, like you mentioned earlier, Stats. Because one of the ways to counter a great pass rush is through a screen game or through short slants. And the reason that is is because they're blitzing you, typically, and that creates a gap for a quick second before the defense can adjust to your routes. Well, when you're not having to blitz to get that pressure, those screens aren't there as as easily as they would when you have a blitz. And we saw that because Boza got his interception on what was supposed to be a quick screen of sorts. And th- there's, not, there's no easy answer for an offense to adjust. And you're totally right, Levin, because just look at the opposite side of the field. All the 49ers did in the first quarter was run screen passes. It was 21 to 3. Garoppolo had thrown 12 passes, and six of those were screens. And it's because they were taking advantage of an overly aggressive Carolina defense who had to blitz guys to try and get pressure. And the 49ers capitalized, and it was 21 3 before you could blink. Yeah, the benefit of being able to get there with four, like you said, Levin, is that you have seven in coverage. And when you not only are able to get there with four, but you have four really athletic defensive linemen, which all of them are, they're all athletic freaks, every single one of them. Whether you go, even the guys inside, uh, Armstead and Buckner are, are incredibly athletic for that size. And the funny thing is, is that we haven't called DeForest Buckner's name in like three games, and he's arguably the most talented of them all. And the fact is, is that like he's eating up blocks, he's clogging up running lanes, he's doing his thing, but the the... It just tells you how good the rest of the defensive line has been that you don't even hear DeForest Buckner's name. And the, that defensive line, guys, it is not what it is today without Nick Bosa. I cannot tell you how great of a game he had, the impact that he has had on this defense. He has been the one piece on this defense. It's funny because, again, national media, they put out a, uh, I forget who it was. was it I'm not in charge of them, by the way. I don't really. <laughs> we don't have meetings or anything. I'm looking at you stats, right? Like all, all your media cronies, you got to get in there and PFT and be like, hey, we got to change now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was some graphic that was put out, I believe, by CBS. And they were talking about the best rookies and they were ranking them. And Nick Bosa wasn't even on the graphic. It was ridiculous. I was like, come on, he's arguably the best player on the best defense in the league. How are you going to leave him out of that? It's, we're not just talking about defensive rookie of the year. We're talking about possible defensive player of the year. He's been that good. Yeah, I, I was looking at that a little bit to see if there's anybody I would clearly pick over Boza for defensive player of the year. And I really only see one that would be, I think, a clear-cut argument, and that's Miles Garrett because he's got the same amount of QB hits He's only one behind on tackles for loss, and he has three extra sacks as well as four extra tackles overall. So he kind of barely beats Boza or is tied with Boza in pretty much every statistic that an edge rusher wants wants to be good at. But I did want to make one point. You know, you mentioned Eric Armstead and how he's all of a sudden getting all these sacks. I think it's because of Boza and Ford. Before, how many times did we see Buckner, Armstead, 
or even uh, Solomon Thomas break through the line, but they didn't have that great speed of a top edge rusher to get to that quarterback and they would escape to the outside and make a play or scramble. But now there is no escaping to the outside because you got Boza and you got D Ford Mm -hmm. sitting there on the outsides doing their job. It's a good point. I mean, there's nowhere for anybody to go. They're reestablishing the line of scrimmage on every single snap. And did you just totally wrecking offensive game plans for all their opponents right now? And it's as a fan, it's so freaking great to watch. Yeah. It's just, this defense is, there's one thing about being a dominant defense, like, Oh, they have a few good players. And this entire defense, they are so fun to watch and they have personalities like Quan Alexander, is one guy we haven't talked about yet, but he has brought such an amazing amount of energy to this defense and this team. And it seems to be infectious. This, this team genuinely, as you look to the broader spectrum of, of the offense and special teams units as well, they seem like they enjoy playing together. They seem like they genuinely care about each other. Like when the Warriors were winning championships, and it's funny because that seems like a long time ago because now they're, they're yeah. terrible. But Steve Kerr used to talk about them in the light of the fact that they have joy when they play with each other, they have fun when they play with each other. And I feel like that this 49ers team is much, very much similar to that. Like they look like they're always having fun and granted winning is fun, but it's like when you start the game off having fun, then you know already that these guys are, are loose and they're at ease and they're comfortable. And really right now they're getting to the point where it's like, we know at some point they're not going 16 and 0, right? Like we know at some point they're going to lose a game, but it's like, it's hard to start finding out where those losses are going to come if they keep playing like this. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- we've talked about it plenty of times before in this podcast, but the schedule gets much harder in the second half. I mean, it opens with, with Seattle, but you also have green Bay, Baltimore on the road, New Orleans on the road. I, I don't see them running the gauntlet here. And coming out sixteen and oh, it's oh, no, no, no. a matter of when do you pick pick against them, or when do you see that loss coming? It, it's hard to predict. I mean, I would say the only game that is a clear number one or clear one hundred percent they won't be favored in is that road game against New Orleans at this point, because they're only one game behind. New Orleans is more established, and New Orleans is so good at home. But outside of that, they could very well be favored in Seattle if they end up going into that game 8-0. So really, it, there's only one game that would be a Vegas says pick against them. I just want to point out that you both just acknowledge it was totally rational to pick against the 49ers. Just <laughs> just throwing that out there. But, you, I mean, you said something, Levin. That was, think about that. The 49ers might be favored in Seattle. The, the Harbaugh teams were never favored in Seattle. That's how good this 49ers – I mean – CenturyLink has been a house of horrors for this team. The, it, the Seahawks dominated the 49ers in Seattle. And to, fe- to think that that could be this year where the 49ers would be the favorite on the road in a place where they never win just shows how far they've come. Yeah, I think that the first game is here. So uh, yeah, in a couple yeah. of weeks, it'll be here. But the, again, what you guys are saying is true. When they go to Seattle for the last game of the season, they may be favored for that. Hopefully, it's a game where Jimmy's resting and the starters are resting and they've already wrapped up something playoff spot by division, whatever it may be. Hopefully I don't see any of the starters that game because everybody's resting for the playoffs. But that being said, one of the things that travels with you too, well, there's two things that travel with you, a running game and defense. We already talked about the defense. And when you're in a tough, tight game in a hostile environment and you need to eat some clock up and, and, and 
basically impose your will on the other team. You have to do it by running the ball. And they did such a phenomenal job on Sunday, running the ball right down the Panthers throat. Like the, the misdirection, the quick hitters, all of the, the blocking by the receivers and Kittle. And it was just, everything came together and it was such a dominant performance. Tevin Coleman, Brita was out with the ankle and, and he should play on Thursday night. They're saying that he should go, but, uh, Tevin Coleman, I can't say enough about the the pickup of him. I, I thought it was a great pickup in the offseason, but I can't say enough about his performance. The first four touchdown performance since Jerry Rice was here. Unbelievable. He was doing everything on Sunday. Right. It, it's it's the running back everybody's been waiting to see in the Kyle Shanahan offense. It's what McKinnon was supposed to be. It's what people said Coleman could be coming into the season. Coleman, you know, he, he's had flashes this season, I would say. But then he had the injury, and I think he was a little bit slower after that injury. But he he certainly broke out in this game. But I want to say while we're talking about the run game, my favorite run play in that game, and I think it's probably most people's favorite, is the Debo Samuel run. Oh, so good. It was such a great design. You know, Obviously, coming into the game, Shanahan would love to have gotten the, the new guy, Sanders, a big game. And he did get him a touchdown. So having him come in motion as if he's going to get an end around just took so much attention from that defense. And then not only was it, you know, a draw, it wasn't a draw to somebody else or something slow developing. It was a very quick handoff to Debo Samuel running inside while the defense is trying to get all the way to the outside on the edge. Just a great play design. And that's one of my favorite runs I've seen in the Kyle Shanahan era. It was so well designed. Debo took one step to his right because Emmanuel Sanders came out to the right, right? Like he was going to the right side of the, the formation. Debo, Debo took one step to the right and it was almost like a counterplay. And he came right back to his left and just sold that he was going to be a blocker for Sanders on that. It was just so well executed by everybody. And he basically went in untouched. And it, this is the stuff that I was dreaming of when Kyle Shanahan was hired. This is the offense that I really wanted him to to run, and he just didn't have the horses to do it. He finally has the the players that he can use in this scheme, and you're seeing the full extent of it. Yeah, it's it's such an impressive run game. One of the things that it impressed me is what you talked about, Levin, the creativity with the run game. I mean, 49ers ran for 232 yards on Sunday. 160 of those came before contact. So the Panthers didn't know which way was up. They didn't know who was coming and going. That's almost 70% of their yardage before contact. And that just goes to show that the creativity that Kyle Shanahan has with this run game and the misdirection is on a level that, honestly, I've never seen before from a rushing attack. And mind you, they're doing this without their top two tackles and without their fullback, which makes it even more unbelievable. The fact that they're able to put up these ridiculous rushing numbers under a pretty, I mean, Carolina was number 23 against the run, but Luke Keekley's still there and they've got a revamped defensive line and they're not a trash team, right? They were, you are what your record says you are. And at the time they were four and two. So they were able to do that, basically impose their will on that Carolina team. And it was so impressive. It was so like nice to see a Niners team doing that. The first time they scored 50 points in what, uh, 15 years, 16 years, 2003 was the last time they did it. Unbelievable. And it was to the point where, like, the last run where Mostert had, he almost didn't want to score. He was, like, running half speed when he got near, when he got near the goal line. Like, they, they were so dominant. They are not only beating teams, they are breaking their will. And that's something that you haven't seen from the 49ers in a very long time. 
we talked before the show, is this the best team, the best Niners team since the 90s? I don't know, because those Harbaugh teams were really, really good. But they, they never used to put it on teams like this. Like those Harbaugh teams used to used to dominate teams defensively, but they they had trouble scoring points. Obviously, Alex Smith was there. He's a game manager. And when Kaepernick came in, that's when they started scoring points a little bit. But he was he was not. It was more so just like a gimmicky offense where it was just read options and stuff like that. This team, they're methodically picking people apart. I know that before the show, we said we wouldn't talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, but I do want to touch on one thing that he did. He was efficient. He did have the one interception, but he made enough throws that they needed him to make to, to be able to win the game. So it's almost as if they're supplementing the run with the pass. And it's going back to that traditional West Coast offense where you're throwing short, quick passes to act like run games to open up the run game when they start bringing the, the, the blitz. And I, I just, I, I love seeing it. Yeah, I think the, the key to this offense is you never know what they're going to do. I mean, even as a, a fan who watches every game, I see them line up and I see the formation. I go, well, this could be a pitch to the outside. It could be an inside run. It could be a pass. I, I don't know. It could be an in around to the wide receiver. I mean, it, there's so many options out of the formations that they go in. And that's why it's difficult for the defense. They can't key on anything. You know, generally when a team's in I form with two tight ends, the defense keys on the inside because it's going to be a run up the gut. Well, not necessarily in this offense. You also have to cover the edges. And if Shanahan sees you, pinching down into the middle in that formation, you can rest assured he's going to call a pitch play on that so that he takes or exploits your aggressiveness trying to cover the inside or vice versa on the outside. That That's why the offense is so difficult. Yeah, the, the thing with Kyle Shanahan that we've seen, even honestly, before Garoppolo was there and when he was out is the only thing that stops the 49ers from moving the ball down the field offensively is the 49ers, either turnovers or penalties. If they don't do those things, they go down the field all the time. And that's due to Kyle Shanahan. And now when you've got Garoppolo there, who, yes, he's thrown some interceptions, but he seems to throw them early. If I will say that about Jimmy, he generally gets it out of the way early. He's not throwing them late. And he's taking care of the ball. He moves the chains on third down, especially he's been very good on third down. And that's obviously a key for the team to get down the field. And the only thing that stops the 49ers are themselves. And they haven't done that so far this year, except for the Steeler game. And they still managed to pull that up. There was a statistic from my boy, Akash from Niners nation. Shout out to Akash for giving me the statistic, but he put out a statistic today that stated that Jimmy Garoppolo is the highest rated passer on third down in the league. And it's not particularly close. And specifically on third and eight or more, he has a QB rating of 85, which is tops in the league. So when it's crunch time and when you need a big first down, he can get it there. And I think that despite the limitations that he has and the interceptions and stuff, the fact that he's not making that crucial mistake at a crucial point is is working in his favor. Wow. I said that we wouldn't talk about Garoppolo and what are we doing? I'm I'm a big fat liar. (laughs) It's hard not to talk about a quarterback on a team that's seven and zero. It's hard. It is. It is. It is hard not to talk about a quarterback. But I'm just. I'm just tired of like the people trying to analyze this stuff. It's like, man, there's so much other stuff that's happening with this team that's so great. The defense is awesome. The running game's awesome. The offensive line's <laughs> awesome. Emmanuel Sanders, guys, we touched on at the beginning of the show. Can I bring up a key sequence that I thought was important? Um, and it was right after the Panthers get the safety. Then they go down the field, they get the touchdown. So it was a 10-point swing because they got the two-point conversion. It was 27-13. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, 
if if Shanahan goes conservative here, we're going to let the Panthers right back into this game, and then you know, then it's a close game, and we got to get worried. And what do the 49ers do? They open the drive with a reverse to Debo Samuel. Jimmy hits Kittle for 25 yards, which all of which basically came in the air. Third and six, they're in field goal range. A field goal, you know, would have made it 30 to 13. Pretty comfortable game for you. They could have run the ball, especially considering how well they moved it. Kyle didn't do that. They went for it. Jimmy hit Debo over the middle on a route that was run past the sticks. And the next play, they get the 20-yard touchdown from Debo, and, and that was the end of it. And I was just really happy that Kyle kept his foot on the accelerator and the team just, you know, didn't, didn't get conservative and clam up and get nervous. They went right down the field and handled their business. Hopefully he doesn't do that if he's up 28-3 to three in the Super Bowl, though. Uh, you know what? I, <laughs> let's get to that. Let's have that problem again, please. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I when he when he called that pass play out of the end zone and he owned it at, at, after the game, he was like, I probably shouldn't have done that. But Kyle Shanahan likes throwing out of his his own end zone, and that's one he thing does. that I'm like, why why do you do that, man? Like, it's just I, honestly speaking, the game was pretty much in hand at that point, or seemingly it was. Maybe it was one of those things where he's like, let me see what they do in this situation. The game's not really in jeopardy. Let's see what they do. And they promptly took a sack and got the safety and then gave up a touchdown on the ensuing drive. And it kind of almost let the Panthers back in the game, almost shifted momentum. But really, like, I think that he's also learning the limitations of this team. And when you add new faces to the mix, like Emmanuel Sanders, we touched on it earlier. When you add a player of that caliber, a perennial thousand yard receiver, he's been, in, he's been in the Pro Bowl, he's been a Super Bowl champion veteran guy who knows how to win who won a super bowl on this very same field at levi stadium when you add a guy like that to your receiving group it makes a huge difference because it like i said at the outset it forces the other team to scheme for him and what that does is that you can't double kittle anymore you are gonna have to take somebody off tevin coleman when he's when he goes out for for uh running a pass route you have to take somebody off debo like it, it affects the defense in a myriad of ways when you have a number one receiver and Emmanuel Sanders is a number one receiver. Yeah. I think he's still, I would say right there at the number one receiver. He's not quite the dominant receiver that he was uh, in his early years of Denver, but he's still a number one receiver. And he's still, like you said, somebody who makes it to where the defense can't double cover anybody else on the team. Maybe you want to double cover him, but I don't think anybody wants to, double cover anybody in this offense because Shanahan will find the open guy. Yeah, I think Sanders is going to be more and more important as the season goes along, especially when they get into that 21-day stretch where they have to play, as we've talked about, Green Bay, Baltimore, and New Orleans. I just think that, you know, it's like adding a great hitter to your batting order. You know, he lengthens your lineup. He makes the rest of your lineup better because the guy that was hitting third is now hitting fourth and and so on. And I think that Sanders does that with the 49ers wide receivers because I think they have some guys – that can be good in specific roles, but they can't fill the roles they're best suited for unless you have a number one guy on the outside, which now the 49ers do. Yep, and I expect him to be featured even more going forward as the rest of the season goes on. All right, guys, so let's talk about game balls. This one, you could give it to a number of people. I love the I love these games where you just give it to any number of people, and, and it's a hard decision because they're like, oh, well, everybody performed well. So stats, I'm going to let you go first this week. Uh, there are a lot of options, but if I've got to give it to somebody, I got to give it to Kyle Shanahan. I'm sorry. When you're an offensive coach and your team puts up 51 points mm-hmm. on a defense that was very well respected coming into this game, to me, you earn the game ball. You run for 
232 total yards, 160 of which come before contact. Defenders are looking left and right. They don't know which way you're going. Team was only penalized four times in the entire game. They've totally eliminated their penalty problem, which has been something that they have struggled with in the past. I got to give it to Kyle Shanahan. This was as perfect a game as we've seen from him since becoming 49ers head coach. Levin, what do you think? Well, I think there's two obvious ones at this point. I, I thought there was two, one, one offense, one defense that had to be two out of the three. And I would guess you're going to take the other guy. So, you know, I'm flipping a coin in my head, but I guess I'll take Tevin Coleman. The four touchdowns, like you said, first person since Jerry Rice, only the third person ever for the 49ers to have a four touchdown game. And he, he dominated. I mean, he didn't, this isn't a four touchdown game where he had 30 touches. It's a four touchdown game. I don't remember his exact amount of touches, but I believe it was under 20. He just dominated, and there's no other way to put it. Well, I think that leaves the obvious choice then for me. <laughs> and Nick Bosa, I can't say enough about this guy. Three, three sacks, the interception, he was in the backfield all day, got most of the fourth quarter off, otherwise he would have had more sacks. The guy has been an absolute game changer for the defense, to say the least. He's got seven sacks on the year in seven games. Like We're talking about defensive rookie of the year for sure, if he keeps up this pace, and maybe defensive player of the year. Like The only guy that I can think of that may be more worthy possibly would be Stephon Gilmore, and that's because he, he's on the Patriots and they're winning. I know we talked about Miles Garrett earlier, but Stephon Gilmore is on a winning team, and they typically give that to, to players that, are on teams that are better and, and the Browns have been trashed again this year. Surprise, surprise. But <laughs> Nick Bosa has been just off the charts. Amazing. And it's had an effect on the entire locker room to see he's, tw he's 22 years old. It's he just turned 22. That's the crazy thing. And I'm hoping that what you're seeing right now, I'm hoping that this is just scratching the surface because obviously there are ways to improve and things that he, he wants to improve on, but it's just like, he's played at such a high level and set the bar so high. It's like, I, I just can't wait to see what's next. And I wanted to make one point on Boza that shows why he's so good. I mean, everybody knows he, he's not really a rookie when it comes to what he knows as a pass rusher. You know, growing up in the family he grew up, he's super advanced. Uh, you know, he's like a veteran. And what I loved is I think it was Ronald Blair was talking about how in the game Nick Boza noticed something about how Blair was being blocked and said, hey, if the guy does this, you should do this. And right after that, Blair did that and ended up making a play. And he talked about how Bose is like a veteran when it comes to he sees things and, you know, when they get to the sideline, he can offer pointers. And normally only the veterans can do that, saying the guy blocks you this way, counter with this move. Yeah, Nick Bose is just so advanced. He's so ahead of his his age here like he sees he seems like he's like a five six year veteran out there you don't see like a rookie who's only starting a seventh game by the way where are all the quinn and williams people at where are you guys at now i took so much heat for saying that nick bosa should be the pick in in the draft now where are you guys all the people saying quinn and williams this and that where, where are y'all at now like you guys are quiet because nick but you're all enjoying nick bosa that's what that's what we wanted we've literally been searching for years for this type of pass rusher and it's funny. I was looking at old Alden Smith clips because I'm like, I, I wanted to just see how, how they were. Alden Smith was, it just shows me how special Alden Smith was. Like what a waste of a career. He was so good. He was so talented and literally just destroyed his life. But really like they have that same sort of impact now from Nick Bosa, where immediately he steps on the scene and makes, makes an impact from day one. And that's 
something that you want out of a number two overall pick, something that they did not get out of Solomon Thomas, who was picked number three overall that they were <laughs> hoping for. So they really, really hit the jackpot here. And as we look forward to next week with the Cardinals on the Thursday night, we're looking at a team that's kind of clinging to playoff hopes that played New Orleans and lost because Drew Brees played. And I think they would have lost against Teddy Bridgewater anyways, but rookie quarterback in Kyler Murray, it's a Thursday night game. It's an, I guess an Island game, if you want to call it because nobody else is, is on that night. Everybody's watching you. What do you guys think in terms of what we're going to see? Well, I'm interested to see in this game because we've talked about the 49ers game plan has been pressuring with the front four and then playing back in coverage. But I'm worried in a way because are, is the, are the 49ers front four going to get so much pressure that they create rushing lanes for Kyler Murray? That I want to see how they handle a, a quarterback that can scramble the way he can because they haven't faced that this year because basically there's two guys in the league that can scramble the way Kyler Murray can. I want to see if that's going to create some issues or if the 49ers kind of soften the pass rush a little bit for the sake of keeping Kyler Murray somewhat contained. So I, I was waiting to bring this up. I almost brought it up earlier, but I decided to wait until we're actually talking about Arizona. But there's one one way of fighting this defense that I haven't seen a team do against the Niners. You know, I talked about how you can't do this the typical screen pass counter against them, but you can roll the pocket. And with somebody like Kyler Murray's speed, if you roll that pocket immediately on the snap, there's no defensive lineman that's going to be able to get to him fast enough to truly affect it. They're going to have time. Now that takes away half the field unless Kyler Murray wants to take a big gamble and try to throw all the way back across the field. But they roll that pocket. One, he might have a running lane immediately. Two, who's going to get to him fast enough to stop their routes from being able to develop? So that's something I'm curious to see if they do. And if I'm the Arizona coaching staff, that's exactly what I'm going to do because it, if you're only sending four guys, you don't get to a guy who immediately rolls out. So I remember when the Niners played Russell Wilson when Vic Fangio was here as defensive coordinator and all of those defensive linemen, the reason why they were able to kind of contain him and mind you, nobody played Russell Wilson as good as the Niners did back then. Nobody's really figured out how to, how to contain him. And they did really well to contain him during, during those years. But what he asked them to do was basically rush almost parallel to the line of scrimmage. When, when he rolled out, all you did was basically rush parallel and, and take an angle, take less of a sharp angle towards him. And what that did was eliminated running lanes for him, but it also kind of kept him in check while you had your help coming from the backside too. So I think that that's what they're going to do. If they roll the pocket, the thing is that Levin, like I agree with, with that thought, but if they do roll the pocket, they're probably going to roll it to the right and Sherman's over there. So either you're throwing, throwing at Sherman all game, or you're having to have him roll the pocket left and he's having to throw across his body, which is really hard for any quarterback to do. So I think that like, it's always a, a guessing game with a rookie quarterback. And I think playing rookies or first-year starters is really, really, uh, it's, it's a crapshoot because you don't know what you're going to get with them. But I, I really think that what the Niners can do to stop Kyler Murray is really just stay in your lane, maybe assign a spy to him for the first little bit to see what he does. They have players that are going to be able to keep, keep up with him, either Tart in the box or Ward in the box if they want to interchange. Assign one of them as a spy to him and basically shadow him all, all game. And I think the other thing the 49ers are going to do is just run the hell out of the ball and keep Kyler Murray next to the Gatorade jug on the sideline. Um, 
the, the Cardinals can't stop the run. The 49ers, as we've seen, can run on anybody. And I, honestly, I think that's the successful way to go. I mean, look, last week, this was my favorite little nugget that I unearthed. The 49ers did not throw a pass in the fourth quarter of the game on Sunday. The last hmm. pass they threw came with 36 seconds to go in the third quarter, and it was a Garoppolo pass to Kittle where he got an offense or a defensive pass interference in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to try the same playbook. Let's run it as much as we possibly can. And maybe Garoppolo has one of those games where, like Kirk Cousins did earlier in the year where he threw like 10 passes and they just dominate that way. And then we don't have to worry about Kyler Murray. The well, Cardinals, I, I, go ahead, Levin. I was going to say the, the one thing and the reason why I'm not overly concerned about this game. I mean, it is Arizona and they've kind of had our number a little bit. Uh, but the reason I'm not overly concerned is their defense can't stop anybody let alone the Kyle Shanahan 49ers rushing attack. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo should be able to that, – that secondary's – it's got Patrick Peterson back, so it's been a little bit better in recent weeks, but it's still not a good secondary. So even if, you know, the Kyler Murray and Kingsbury roll that pocket and the offense actually gets some, some movement against this defense that's only given up 224 yards a game, I still think the Niners are going to outscore him. I just – there's the possibility this becomes a shootout. I don't know. It just seems like the Niners, I, I agree with stats. I think they're just going to try to grind it out. The Cardinals are the 25th ranked rushing defense in the league. They're giving up 4.7 yards of carry. So when you're giving up almost five yards of pop, the Niners are going to try to exploit that for sure. Like I expect a lot of eight man boxes. They're going to Cliff Kingsbury's a rookie head coach, right? He doesn't have that background of winning and things like that. So he's going to do whatever he can to, to build his resume. And I think that you're going to see a lot of eight man boxes. You're going to see a lot of blitzes. You're going to see a lot of really aggressive play from the Cardinals defense to try to force the Niners to throw the ball and to beat them. But the difference is, is that the Niners have such creative runs and they have blitz beating runs, which is crazy to think about, but like they have, the, they have draw plays. They've got shovel passes. They've got all sorts of things that can, beat the blitz if you try to blitz them. So really it just comes down to, like you said, stats a couple of weeks ago, it's a handle your business game. Like the Niners have no business losing to the Cardinals and, and they need to come out and be sharp. It's a short week, but this is basically your primer for Russell Wilson, the Seahawks next. He's Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson are both running quarterbacks. This will basically be like, okay, this is the, the, prerequisite until you get to the actual course and we'll preview obviously the Seahawks game next week hopefully after a 49ers win on Thursday but I really think that the Niners really have to take this game seriously because the Cardinals are one of those teams that have looked pretty decent at times and really terrible at other times they're basically a 500 team right now and with the rookie head coaching quarterback that's not bad at all and Kyler Murray, uh, look, I'm an I'm an A's fan, so I I really don't like <laughs> Kyler Murray. He can he can kick rocks as far as I'm concerned, and <laughs> I, I really don't think that he'll be much of a factor. Just, I just think the defense is going to suffocate suffocate them like they've done with everybody else. I think that that they'll be able to handle Kyler Murray this week. Although I do think going forward, I think he's going to be a problem. I think the 49ers is going to have to deal with two very difficult quarterbacks in their division for years in Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. Not golf? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Guy, oh, God. Puked on his shoes in the Super Bowl. No, thank you. Oh, man. That was bad. Yeah, they, they basically broke the Rams after, after <laughs> that win a few weeks ago. All right, guys. So predictions. Here we go. So um, let's go with Levin. What do you think uh, as far as this game goes against the Cardinals on Thursday night? Well, I think the Niners, I don't think the game will be, you know, a, a tight game where, 
we're worried all that much in the second half. But I do think the Cardinals get a couple big plays. I think it's going to be 31-17 Niners win. Not picking Arizona. That, that's not happening this season. <laughs> I'm act, I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm actually going to pick the Arizona Cardinals in this game. Wait, what? No, I'm totally kidding. What is that? What? No, it's going to be the Niners are going to control the game. They're going to dictate everything. Offensively, they're going to pile on the roll on the ground. And defensively, I think they'll, they'll do enough to the offense to, like you said, Levin, force the Cardinals to have to either roll the pocket and do one specific thing that's going to cut off one side of the field. I'll take the Niners 35-10. Oh, there you go. So back-to-back 30-plus point games. I'm going to say I'm going to go with the Niners as well, obviously. And I'm going to say that because they control the clock and control the game and shorten the game, it's not going to be a terribly high-scoring affair, but they'll get to, I'll say they'll get to 27 points. And uh, they'll hold the Cardinals to under 10. So it'll be 27-7. I'm going to say the Niners will win. You know, I, I think it should be mentioned that, if I'm not mistaken, David Johnson's not going to be back for this game. So that is mm-hmm. one advantage the Niners have because he is a dual threat running back. And while Edmonds has been good, I haven't seen that same route running, pass catching ability, in my opinion, to the level that David Johnson is. So the Cardinals, I I did not mention this. The Cardinals had traded for Kenyon Drake earlier this week. So Kenyon Drake for the Dolphins went to the Cardinals for draft picks because neither of the Cardinals running backs, neither of the top two are going to play. They're both out. So this is an opportunity for the 49ers to really make them one dimensional because you're, you're having a guy come in on a short week who doesn't know the playbook and you're literally trying to make them one dimensional because of that. So this is a huge opportunity for the 49ers. You cannot lose this game. You have to have this game, especially with Seattle breathing, breathing down your neck and them coming next week. Well, there is one obvious uh, motivation point in this game. You know, we've talked about the motivation and there's been some fake tweets put out there about somebody said something and there's the whole real thing that was said where Dante Pettis told Sherman before the game that Kyle Allen had told him he was going to test him and things Mm -hmm. like that. Well, the one motivation this defense is going to have is that other guy that they're going to be trying to chase down all the time is the one guy that was taken before Boza. The Cardinals looked at Boza and said, nah, we're good. We don't need him. We're taking this guy. Yeah, I, I like. I love the way that they create motivation out of these small little things. Like I always like to say, Petty Sherman is the best Sherman if he's on your team. <laughs> so that's, that's what he is now. And uh, before we wrap up, guys, I, I do want to talk about one thing. I do want to talk about the Chicago Bears and what they did to end that game. <laughs> I, I mean, the Bears had a chance to win uh, in, in uh, Soldier Field on Sunday. And Matt Nagy chose, he had, they were driving down the field and they were down, they were down by a point. And Matt Nagy chose to um, basically run the clock out and have a 40-yard field goal instead of trying to get more yardage uh, to win the game. And they ended up missing the field goal. I mean, have you guys seen this? Yeah, It is the single dumbest coaching move that I can ever remember. That car, the, the Bears are driving down the field, and Trubisky gets a nice scramble, runs for, I think it was like 11 yards, and it's first and 10 at the Chargers 21. There's 43 seconds left. And what do the Bears do? They take a knee. Oh. And after the game, Nagy says, I had no thought to run, no thought to pass. 
that I, if we run the ball, they know we're going to run the ball. We're going to lose yardage, which makes no sense because he took a knee, which then guarantees that you lose yardage. Yeah. And today he doubled down on it. On Monday, he said he wouldn't do the same thing all over again. And I think that speaks volumes to where Nagy is at with Trubisky and with his running backs because Montgomery, he had his first good game of the season, really. But I think it's pretty clear he doesn't trust his running backs and he doesn't trust his quarterback. Thus, he doesn't trust his offense to do anything but take a knee and try to kick the field goal. And he trusted his kicker, who stinks. <laughs> so congratulations. And that's, by the way, that's the reigning head coach of the year, Matt Nagy. Yeah. I just, I, guys, I just, it was just so ridiculous. I, I, I feel so bad for, I'm, I'm laughing, but I feel so bad for the Bears fans. Like they, after what happened in the playoffs, they thought they had their kicking woes solved and they went in Denver earlier. So they had a great celebration. Everybody was super happy. And then, uh, it happens again. And it's just, I, honestly, Niners fans, if you want to see a, a really mediocre quarterback, look at Mitch Trubisky. When you trash Jimmy Garoppolo, for those who were trashing him, Look at Mitch Trubisky. That guy's a top three pick, and he is he is so mediocre. He is so unspectacular. He's literally Alex Smith reincarnated. This guy is it's such a it's such a waste of a of a pick for the Bears. I mean, they could have found a better quarterback off the scrap heap. I'm I'm really not a Mitch Trubisky guy. I've I've never thought he was special. I didn't see what they what they saw in him, especially when Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes were in the same draft. I can't believe they drafted that guy ahead of those guys. So we should count our lucky stars here that, yeah, Jimmy's imperfect, but at least he's not Mitch Trubisky. Kyle can run his offense. And to see Matt Nagy not once but twice double down on that decision because of his quarterback was hilarious to me. And I, and I hope that the Niners are never in that position, and I don't, I don't think they will be at least this year. So I just wanted to <laughs> go ahead, Nevin. You said appreciate Garoppolo because of Trubisky. Also appreciate Shanahan because there's a lot of bad coaches out there. I mean, there's – there's Adam Gase and with the New York Jets, who's looking lost. I mean, he looked lost in his introduction press conference, <laughs> the whole bug eye thing going on. <laughs> but I mean, and then you got Nagy in Chicago. There's so many bad coaches out there who are supposed to be experts at something, and that's the thing their team's failing at. I mean, Nagy's supposed to be an offensive genius. Gase is supposed to be good at offense. They're two of the worst offenses in the league right now. Appreciate yeah, and- Shanahan just as much as Garoppolo. I agree. And speaking of the Jets, they they just traded Leonard Williams a couple of days ago. So Leonard Williams is now gone off of their team after drafting Quinny Williams. And they're like, oh, it's going to be the Williams wall. But they traded away arguably their best defensive player, not named Jamal Adams. So I they're just a mess. And I'm so thankful the Niners are out of that. So thankful they're 7-0. Parting thoughts, guys? I would say this... This last conversation sums up the Niners seasons. The Niners have been so good that we had to go talk about how bad other teams are. <laughs> Feels good, doesn't it? It's it's maybe, you know, remember Jed York said you can't fire the owner, which is totally true, but I, I think that, you know, he deserves at least a little credit. It, the, the Harbaugh situation, the end of that was a complete debacle. They never should have let him go, but he seems to have at least learned from it by now. The leaks out of the organization have stopped. He's let Shanahan and Lynch do their own thing, and it's working. So please just let it go. Let it lay, Jed. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, there you go. 
So for Lemon Black and Stats Guerrera, I am Zane Nagby, and you have been listening to another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by the QBSeek.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to the QBSeek.com. Catch you guys later.